0: In a world where three pudgy history teachers discuss random aspects of history, I've got
1: nothing. Oh, Hatfield, we got you. Yeah. I, wait, who you calling Pudgy? Yeah, man, that's kind of rude. No, I'm rude.
2: But as for me give me liberty
3: oh give me death. welcome to the history bros everybody it is your best friend jason rude along with your second best friend Brian geldmacher and the third wheel jason hatfield good to talk Ooh. to you again guys
1: i mean that was a super dramatic intro uh did he scream like that does anybody know or did, he
0: did. He i did, he did i screw there that up there is a recording that, um, okay. okay that yeah that was that
3: um, was the official recording of that,
1: that you have seen the blu
3: ray
0: <laughs> yeah i've seen the the yeah they recorded it on blu ray um <laughs> and uh okay. and Pat, patrick henry the thing was um his skin wasn't all that great so they had to do uh, a lot of airbrushing
3: so oh, are you okay, saying he done. had a he had a face for radio then
0: <laughs> he did have a face for radio
3: kind of like me huh.
0: But uh, oh, how would I know? Oh. I'm only the third best friend, apparently.
3: I'm sorry. I uh, I didn't actually call you the third best friend. I called you the, the third wheel. But uh, anyway, oh, that was...
0: Hey, well, otherwise, the tricycle is just a bicycle. So there you go.
3: <laughs> My apologies. That was a terrible, terrible uh, way to introduce you, Mr. Hatfield. Yeah,
0: it's probably fine. Well, I'm sure you do not care. <laughs> it's, it's what we call in the biz, par for the course. Uh... <laughs>
3: Let's face it; you two are the driving force, and I am just the steering wheel, sort of. At the end, so. well, that's true. We know that you two drive the show, and I appreciate that. So, <laughs> I uh, I have not talked to you guys. I almost said seen you guys in a week. I haven't seen you in longer than that. Um, but uh, how you guys been? I've it's been it's been a little
1: while. Uh, I don't, What day is it currently? Does anybody know what day it is?
3: Uh, today is the. No, I don't remember.
1: Okay, so yeah, that's how I am.
3: <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, today is Thursday, by the way. Um, I had the opportunity to watch a Facebook Live this morning that was pretty outstanding. Uh, yeah, one of that my, was good. my one of my favorite interpreters from uh, co- excuse me Colonial Williamsburg, uh, who portrays Lady Washington, was on, and she did a wonderful job of answering questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for people, no, seriously. Uh, no, no, I enjoyed did. it too. I watched it. I, yeah, see, it you no, watched
0: it too. Like top notch. I think yeah. we should try and um, I think we should try and reach out to her and see if we can have her on the podcast.
1: Yeah, if anybody knows, uh, if anybody knows who we're talking about, uh, if you have never seen her, check her out. She's uh, she really does a fantastic job at what she does. You know,
3: and- yeah.
0: If anyone knows Martha Washington,
1: <laughs>
3: right? <then> please, <laughs> um,
0: you know, <laughs> it might, it might be a little too late though. Nah. I think she's been mostly dead for a while.
3: Oh my lord. Are you sure? I,
0: I don't know. I mean I I don't know history all that well. <laughs> but um but no, uh so we've been uh this is what we're through the second week of uh social distancing. Yeah and uh we've been uh they have decided to close down schools in north carolina until may 15th gotta love it so we are in the process of trying and i the thing is is for me i mean it sucks to a degree but uh it's also kind of exciting because you're i mean you're it's it's tasking you with trying to find uh new ways to teach your classes and you know, it's, it's, you know, it's making it fresh and new. And, you know, so I've um, reached out to various online communities about different ways to try and do that. And uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback from uh, people from all across the country. So, um, see, we're, um,
3: we're not to that point where we're allowed to let necessarily delve into new information. I mean, we, we're kind of in, uh, retention, retention and, and, lessening the learning lag mode right now so i am mm. i'm, I'm, in oh, I'm awe-
0: technically yeah. not supposed to introduce anything uh any new material yet until they start sorting a uh, sorting things out but uh yeah i am in so awe of what I- you've
3: done hatfield though and i give you a lot of crap for a lot of reasons but seriously what you've done with this in the short amount of time we've had is is nothing less than amazing and uh and you two mocker both of you are i think Aww. way ahead of, i'm serious i think you're both way ahead of the curve as far as even on a, on a national level, because I've got some pretty good circles. Um, you're, you guys are doing good stuff. So just just know that.
0: Well, I appreciate that. But um, it's, oh, well, it's, it's, sweet. it's really force <laughs> of uh, necessity. I, I would much rather yeah. be in front of these kids. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, 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 I... and, you know, engaging with them and talking to them about it and hearing their questions and challenging what it is that they're thinking. But mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to be able to do three months of the Gilded Age. No. I think I really will have to, <laughs> right. you know, push forward at some point. But um, we're supposed to be having a departmental meeting tomorrow, so we will um, uh, so, discuss that. So here's um, here's the, what our parameters are.
3: So here's what's interesting, I, and I know it. We are used to being in front of the kids, and we we. Crave that contact, that face-to-face contact, that interaction, which isn't always necessarily just the here. I'm giving you some interesting things to think about, and let's have a discussion about that. Sometimes it's the the two or three minutes we spend on some crazy topic that they, that's going on with the kids' lives. Um, oh, that sure. you know that that's what the you know it's it's that variety that makes the spice of life so fun. Um, but I I am going to say this about the whole situation. I think we are going to see. A technology and operational revolution come out of this, because it's not just been a matter of well, we're shutting down for a week, we'll just make it up, and we'll figure it out later. This has been an extended period of time, and we've been forced in many, many different areas to come up with new ways to do things, and new ways to in, in education, new ways to deliver that education and in the business world different ways to operate and we're finding out we can do more things remotely than we ever could before and i think we're oh, also sure. i think we're also finding out th- that we don't have the infrastructure available to us that we'd like that that we need to do some of this stuff i see that as much as anything we're going to see a major revolution in technology over the course of the next whatever this is i really do y- yeah it's, it's exposing In, some some of the flaws and some of the inadequacies and I think they're gonna have I think they will be addressed because of this
0: well it's it's definitely showing me how to make uh learning dynamic mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, it did bring up uh, one of my coworkers um on the eighth grade hall had made a comment today about is this a sign of like, the prospects of like public school teaching i mean is it possible to to simply just do like learning from home or mm-hmm. you know is it are we going to be replaced by robots or that kind of stuff and um <laughs> and i know that's
3: that's I, come up
0: well i mean it's it, uh, i think one of the, the if there's anything positive that you can take from this coronavirus situation is that i mean first of all it's going to be as your reactions and your experience is only going to be as good as the individuals who are reacting to it i guess if that makes any sense right but um it's been I think it's 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 really it has shown me that there are a lot of things that we need to change. There's a lot of things that we need to be prepared for in the future, Um, and I think it's. um, But uh, like I said, it's it's not to make light of a situation, but it's been exciting for me because it's kind of forced me to approach how what I've been doing for what almost eight years now. Um, right from a completely different way and i needed that i i need to it's kind of like when you know technology will take a leap forward in times of war right and it's kind of the same thing with this it's that it's forcing us to reevaluate how we're doing it and of course i'm sure that there's some teachers out there that are like well i'm not working so you know but right for me it's like i you know i'm jonesing to be back in front of those kids but since i can't do that what's the next best option and it's not just posting uh you know here's a reading sheet here's a whatever sheet yeah i've actually started using a screencastify and um you know recording kind of lessons and review stuff um Mm -hmm. using uh Prezi and stuff while recording right. my voice over it. And it's been, it's been just amazing. Uh, this will eventually obviously make me a better teacher for the students I have next year and the year in the years after. Right. Oh, let awesome. me, uh,
1: let me ask a very quick question. I, I definitely don't want to go off into a tangent because I know we have things to do today, big show, but do you think, and I'm not sure Hatfield if this even applies to North Carolinians, but does this, eradicate what we know as the snow day That's if you know a, what I mean
0: in terms of like snow days that you like, guys have snow day, like-
1: yeah we won't have school today snow day don't come to school does that does it do we just give the kids a day off now or can we rely on oh
0: you come about in the future as
1: in like do we do yeah. it from
3: home and then we don't have to
1: because I know there's some high schools, at least locally here, that have that have done that in recent years. They won't have uh, a snow day. They'll, they won't even call it a snow day. If it shows up on the bottom of the screen in you know in the on the morning news, it's 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 an e learning day. Yep. Does this does this push us to that point?
0: I think it it I, definitely says okay. Well, just because there's a snow day, doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything shuts down. I mean, right. but but then you also have to keep into consideration of people were to lose power then you know obviously yeah but uh well that's true th- this does create like a you know if you're sick even
1: yeah yeah um, that's true to an extent
0: the uh, district is trying to force oh not force but they're trying to make us create uh google classrooms as a means of becoming more standardized so that Uh, In the future, you know, parents and I mean, I use, like I said, Edmodo from an earlier um, uh, podcast, but they're wanting us to all merge into Google Classrooms, which I haven't used before. But it's obviously something I have to take a look at now.
3: Well, uh, I mean, my district is probably of us here, the one that's going to deal with the, the most snow days and the most potential for that to happen. I'll be honest with you. Last year we had 12 snow days. The huh. conversation of e-learning to make up days or to handle that came up big time. Uh, so it's sure. actually been in the it's been in the lexicon that we've been dealing with up here um, for a while. There are some schools that have implemented, but in Iowa state law, does not allow you to use those to replace snow days. Um, and so the question is, if we're going to have to come back and make it up, do you want to go through all the work of doing that? If State law, where does change, and this, like you said, this, I do think this could be the driving force to make some of that, but again, it's going to have to come with infrastructure changes, uh, because oh, sure. you, you still run into problems of access, um, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, for everybody, but I do think that this is going to drive that conversation farther than it did last year for us, which it it, it, it went a ways last year, I think this is going to drive it even farther this year, Um, and yeah, you're right. The snow day, as we know it may change. And in a lot of ways, that's not the worst thing because now you're not going to have to worry about issues of, of snow getting, uh, or or of summers getting eaten into. Right. Um, Hmm. and maybe that's, maybe that's not really the the grand scheme of what we should be worrying about, but, um, it it crosses a lot of people's minds.
0: Do we want to just take a quick moment? Um, to kind of throw out little bits for any educators that are listening, because obviously we're everybody that I know is virtually going into uncharted territory.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: You want to talk um, about the
3: resources that we're using or what?
0: Resources that we're using resources that parents um, could possibly um, use for, um, you know, supplemental stuff because I know, um, the the school districts around in this area are trying to kind of wrap their brain around how this is going to work and how we're going to move, be moving forward. Um, I, I can tell you that if you are uh, an educator, um, like I said, uh, people have been talking about Zoom, which is, um, oh, yeah. I think, offering some upgrades for free. Correct. Um, Screencastify was something that was given um, if you um, are interested. Uh, They are offering a coupon for a year's worth of their free premium service, um, which is ordinarily about $49 a year, um, to be able to record... class sessions then then you can edit the videos i just did a 30 minute uh lesson where i recorded i think four or five different segments that i was able to then uh, edit them all together and then you can upload them to uh google the google cloud or you can upload it to um um youtube oh excuse me sorry I just, so
3: screencastify like, and zoom i have
0: my phone in here and since i talked about it, it <laughs> <laughs> i have an android so it, it was like oh you're wanting me to help you screen um
3: screencastify, but, google Pod, or google classrooms and zoom are the big hot like they're the bu- they are the current buzzwords in education right now so sure if you go on and, any of the facebook educator pages that's what they're all serving up um i mean iCivics we've talked about on here um, oh yeah. If you go yep, on yep, yep. If you uh, go-
0: Khan Academy, is also a big oh, one yes. that covers a lot of different sources. So if you're needing uh, assistance or uh, review or that kind of stuff, Khan Academy. I think it's K H A N. Yes, that's correct. Um, just think of William Shatner screaming, "Academy!"
1: Right. <laughs> nice right
0: <laughs> thanks i appreciate it um so yeah so khan academy is a really big one um that i know a lot of teachers a math teacher science teachers have used in the past so that one, that's a, that's a, a good review source as well.
1: Um, I have a really good one for parents because I know sometimes during these time, to- I mean, even on like days where kids have to catch up with work and they don't know how to manipulate Google Classroom, but we've seen it now more than I think ever Um you know, parents are flipping out because they don't know how to use this stuff either. Um, there's a YouTube channel called Flip Classroom Tutorials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll say that again. It's Flipped Classroom Tutorials. They teach you how to use Zoom. They teach you how to use Google Classroom. They teach you how to use all of the Google Suite. Um, so it's in, uh, your kids kind of have an idea of how to do this stuff at home. But for any parents that are listening, um, check that channel out. They have videos literally on every part of google how to how to work youtube if they're using youtube how to do zoom how to you know all that
0: stuff so that's especially, something especially well. for your students who will say oh i didn't have any homework
1: <laughs> right right, right. And, or the ones that'll say oh i didn't know how to get on this even though i do it every day at school
0: right right <laughs> like i use Edmodo, and it was uh an assignment for them to be signed on the second week of school and sure. I have people that are contacting me saying, how do you get on Edmodo? And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? This is why it was an assignment at the beginning of the year. You know, so.
3: Right. And and that's the thing is like, so Edmodo, uh, Schoology, to an extent, Google Classrooms, though, it's not exactly the same. They're all learning management systems. Uh, yeah. For me. It's my- more
0: review tools, not something that you go to for uh, for like review stuff outside of what would be a classroom,
3: but like sure. Edmodo and that stuff, it's so that you can keep everything in one spot basically is what it is. And then sometimes with some of them, schoology, especially, uh, there's a few other one. There's a big one. I'm, I'm forgetting for one of my friends out in, uh, Idaho, they use it. I cannot think of it for the life of me, but anyway, um, basically it has different options for the teachers and the students to be able to connect and and all the assignments can be put out there and turned in there and and that's why they they call them LMSs. For me, I don't use one, I use a website. But the the key here is the teachers that use anything like that, whatever the platform was, the teacher that used any of that prior to the shutdowns of their school are the ones who are going to find success. And the ones that are trying to say, well, I'm going to try Edmodo, so here kids, figure this out. And their kids have right. no clue or Schoology or whatever and say, well, w- w- I, well they have no clue. Um, those yeah. are the ones that are going to struggle. So uh, if you put an LMS in place before all this, applaud yourself because you set yourself up ahead of the curve.
0: No,
1: that's true.
3: You know, and, and that's that's the big thing. And I mean, there's other options out there. You know, Screencastify is a big one. But I mean, QuickTime on an Apple works just as well. You know, and you can oh, yeah. decide what you want to use. Um Free Tech for Teachers, It's uh, I think it's Richard Burns is his name. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, follow his website. That will have the absolute most um, technolo- technology stuff. You know, Prezi's good. Uh, you can, and Google Slides, I believe you can record yourself going through the slides. I think the same thing with with uh, PowerPoint. Uh, you can do the same thing there. I mean, there's, there's a million of them. Um, I'll be honest, my number one thing I like to push out there are the, the Facebook Lives that are coming out because we're getting to see stuff that is a little more interpersonal. And, uh, you know, uh, so like like this morning we saw Lady Washington. And uh, every day at 2 o'clock my kids jump on to the Cincinnati Zoo and they see some animal. Today was drafts. Yesterday I think was uh, some other big animal. They had lions on recently. Um, I know that Mount Vernon at 11 a.m. Central Time, 12 12 Eastern, every day they're doing something on Facebook Live. They have uh,
1: virtual tours now, too.
0: Yes. Well, I think the only problem is I think Facebook uh, legally has an age minimum. Yeah, right. you gotta that have a parent true.
1: to to get you onto an account or something like that, or you let know, you use their account or whatever it is.
3: But I mean, if yeah. we're talking to a parent here that's looking for something for their kid to do, oh, sure, get on your Facebook yeah. account and uh, and and pull those up. Um, they're, they're out there. They're, they're absolutely out there. Oh, uh, yeah. Williamsburg is doing them. Um, the Civil War, or not the Civil War Museum. The World War II Museum is do did a two part one start that started today, going into tomorrow. I think you told us, me about that Hatfield or uh, Geldmacher. uh, Yeah. uh,
1: Yeah. We're recording this Thursday, Friday. So, yes, uh, they did a an electronic field trip uh, a few months ago about the Manhattan Project. Yeah. And they are re-airing it with uh, additional content with one of their curators. Uh, uh, Again, uh, would be March 26th and 27th. So, yeah.
3: And and I mean, I can I can put I, I have assembled probably 20 different resources on my my Facebook page. Not my Facebook oh, page. Yeah. My history, uh, history stuff for eighth grade. I mean, I can link that in the liners of this if people want that. I mean, it's it's there. It's available. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just then that's what I mean. It's it's forcing this whole thing is forcing us to think about education in a different way than we ever have.
0: Yep. All that's, right. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's it's amazing to be a history teacher right now. Right. Because, I mean, this is, yes. this is I mean, a part of history. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like being a, a science teacher and all of a sudden all this huge scientific breakthrough happens and you're teaching about it, you know. Right. It's right. It's an amazing, right. it's just an amazing. I mean, it's not amazing because, like, I think North Carolina had uh, finally two fatalities of the coronavirus. I'm not trying to say that, but, uh, you know, I'm, I keep trying to see the silver lining right in you know these kind of situations
3: well i've got some silver for us i've got some silver for us this week in history hey let's go there
0: this week in history um march 23rd 1775 american lawyer patrick henry obviously very very uh french Right, Patrick Henry. It's, no, 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 nothing. Nope. I just you you're, you'll probably hear a lot of that in this particular episode. <laughs> Serves up rousing rhetoric at the House of Burgesses in Richmond, Virginia, as he makes his case for supporting military action against the British. Henry's words, "Give me liberty, or give me refreshment," will resonate through the centuries. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's on the the mugs at Williamsburg right give me liberty or give me refreshment he actually said give me liberty or give me death um
1: oh, that seems drastic but okay
0: let uh was it um uh, eddie Izzard said you know cake or death cake please right right
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, oh i'm up next aren't i
0: yes you are yeah.
3: March 23rd of 1806, having reached the Pacific Ocean the previous November, the expedition led by Meriwether Lewis and William Clark depart Fort Clatsop in the Oregon country near the mouth of the Columbia River to begin the formidable journey back to St. Louis where they began two years earlier. Hey, did you put that in there, St. Louis guy who's got to always put a, a St. Louis reference in?
1: Uh, I didn't choose it because it said St. Louis. I chose it because sure, it was important. Whatever. whatever. <laughs> Whatever. It's fine, okay. fine. I did it because it said St. Louis. Are it's you happy? Okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. We-
0: I tell you what. Um, one of the things that not many people seem to know, and I, th- I think we talked about it on uh, the podcast, was Meriwether Lewis's uh, untimely end.
1: Oh yes, we have. Yes. Oh yeah.
0: He. Yeah. That was a uh, really, really sad, and not many people. I mean, people seem to know the, the bravery and the history. and you know the 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 accomplishments but never the sad out <laughs> the
1: mysterious ending if you will
3: oh exactly
0: right shooting himself what in the chest right and then <laughs> once in the head i don't know right. I was... it, Man, that's it, that's dedication
3: right
1: <laughs> gill you got one for us march 29th 1865 general ulysses s grant who actually retired to St. Louis, never mind, Uh, sends sends 12,000 Union troops to outflank Robert E. Lee's Confederate forces and block their possible withdrawal from Petersburg, Virginia. A series of Union victories will follow, and Lee will surrender his army 10 days later at Appomattox Courthouse. Indeed he did.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Um let's see March 29th 1974 while digging a well in China's Saint Louis province farmers <laughs> discover the burial site of Qin Shi Huang the first emperor of Saint Louis oh. from uh, 210 to 209 BCE <laughs> before common era sorry that's uh I'm just I figure, you know, Geldmacher probably did this. So. No,
1: I didn't I didn't add this for St. Louis. This is legit, S- a legit historical event, so.
0: Right. Fine. Uh fine. Ch- 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 wait. I always did I hear it as a Chinshi Huang. There's a very uh there's a fascinating uh book called or excuse me, film called The Emperor and the Assassin. Um The first emperor of Japan, uh, Qin, uh, which is kind of sort of where we get the China term from. Um, It's it's a fast it's it's like three hours long. It's really an epic film, but it's 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 really good. But um, and I think um, Jet Li did another movie um, about that, but they tried to send an assassin to kill this particular emperor. But uh, Qin Shi Huang or Shi Huangdi, I I, I'm not entirely certain. But anyway, according to this, while digging a well in China's (laughs) Shanxi province, farmers discover the burial site of uh, Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of China. Uh, Excavators will discover an estimated 8,000 life-size clay soldiers and hundreds of horses and chariots meant for protection in the afterlife. A lot of I know in Japan this happened for a time and I believe in China as well that they would bury people alive, your soldiers and stuff like that alive with your uh, emperor too. Um, Fun. I know in China, in Japan, they, every time the emperor died, they would uproot the capital and move it someplace else. And so there were these huge um, changes in, you know, society and whatnot during these times. And I think, they all went, um, this is getting to be kind of uh, traumatic and expensive. Right. <laughs> Perhaps we should um, maybe just change the emperor and be done just, with it.
1: Maybe a figure out a better way. I don't know. Right,
0: right. You know, we're just <laughs> burying thousands of people, you know, and this is, you know... Our birth rate is just not recouping.
3: <laughs> so this is the first appearance of the terracotta soldiers, and I distinctly yeah. remember hearing about the terracotta soldiers in school, and have never ever forgotten it. And uh, I appreciate you bringing this back up again.
0: You know, nope. I went to the uh, the World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee, back in the early '80s, and uh, the Sun Sphere, which is still there, uh, but they had a terracotta warrior. On um, on display there. Oh, really? cool! That was uh, first time I've awesome. ever seen that. Yeah, that's pretty good.
3: Nice. All right. <laughs> hey, on March 28th of 1779, fears of nope. Ra- nope. radioactive contamination nope. run rampant after a coolant. Leak. What did he say? Let him go. Just let
1: him go. Okay.
0: Okay.
3: Causes a reactor at Pennsylvania's Three Mile Island. To mm-hmm. overheat, which is just outside of Harrisburg, I always thought it was yep. like on Long Island. It's not; it's just outside of Harrisburg, on in in the middle of a river. Um, I yep. tried to convince these guys that we should go there on a on a road trip, but they said no. The power plant, just ten miles from the state capital, just don't eat the fish. Yeah, <laughs> is stabilized before complete meltdown. The accident was swell will swell anti nuclear sentiment in the public. Now,
1: so. Hatfield, I don't know if we know this or not, but uh, Rude stumbled across some interesting history. Did you know that there was uh, nuclear energy in 1779?
0: (laughs) I did. I did. That was one of the little known um, facts about um, the reason why we went uh, to war with Britain in the first place. (laughs) Is um, there was a lot of well, first of all. A, uh, a Polish um, astronomer who was the founder of American astronomy um, would actually wind up uh, discovering uh, nuclear reactors and uh, sure. he would start to build this. There was one that they were starting to build a foundry for um, in um, uh, Valley Forge. They were going to call it uh, Atom Forge. But they changed it and um the british wanted that and <laughs> one of the first places lexington they thought the first um mm-hmm. they were calling it um it was the the nazis would eventually call it i think heavy water uh the colonists <laughs> were calling it um really clean water it was a really clean water reactor that they had and the british were trying to swoop in and get that and um they were Um, as Salah said in Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're digging in the wrong place.
1: Sure. Did you know actually that when they took the guns, (laughs) I can't,
0: I, you know, I gotta, you gotta admit that was a pretty good riff. That That was was pretty good. good. That was
3: (laughs) glorious. And, uh. I appreciate that you're able to make something out of that. Obviously, I screwed up and said the wrong date, so I'm sorry, everybody. I'm just so a big screw-up. George up Washington, in, in
0: his farewell address, did try to warn us of about the
1: dangers of nuclear energy. Yeah, he did. Nuclear
0: energy. I mean, the we all seem to focus on the different parties, Yeah, but it was really about uh, the uh, spent uranium rods that, that he doesn't... You know,
1: <laughs> the guns uh, from Fort Ticonderoga, was it, or uh, that that um, the Green Mountain Boys took? They were actually that was a cover up. They were actually moving <laughs>
0: <laughs> spent uranium fuel rods. <laughs> they were, they were.
1: Not many people know that, but uh, yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> I <have no laughs> words. God, I, I, have. I hope I don't screw this next one up. <laughs> <laughs> I have no words.
0: Oh, you- but <laughs> I don't be feel roasted bad. alive, as they used to say in Jamestown. All right. <laughs> <aw. laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Let's move along. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Geldmacher colon March twenty fourth, nineteen eighty nine. Just past midnight, the Exxon Valdez tanker strikes a reef in Prince William Sound, Alaska. The resulting spill of up 38 million gallons of crude oil is the largest in U.S. history and will devastate 11,000 square miles of pristine wilderness.
0: It's like that song goes, "What what do you do with a drunken sailor? What do you do with a drunken sailor? What do you do with a drunken sailor? Hire him at Exxon.
1: Oh, and
3: it's an old
0: pirate dirge. That's yeah. night. <laughs> yeah.
3: So you guys were like old enough to remember that happening.
1: No, here we go.
0: Really? Really? We're going to do this? Are we going to do this now? Okay. Oh, you, okay. Did, you just spent five remember, minutes going to that, yes. that, that was like one of the huge um, environmental disasters. I mean, that thing, it was, first oh, yeah. of all, I think the the tanker captain i think was um perhaps an alcoholic i'm i can't remember entirely now but um yeah it i mean people thought that that part of alaska would be ruined for ever
1: ever, ever. <laughs> right right
0: and i'm not entirely certain that it's not not excuse me i was just trying to not burp on um <laughs> on <the> air <laughs> but um thank you, thank you for yeah, that. that was yeah that was a. Uh, yeah I, re- I do remember that happening i remember that and i remember mount saint helens oh, Well see
1: no i don't i don't remember that
0: oh, i'm sure, not you, i'm you not, not that old you're I'm only not, like
1: a... i'm not that old
0: really i hate you i hate you both so much <laughs> What I didn't say. If you say both were here, time. I would turn you over my knee and I'd spank the both of you.
1: I but, but not more no yelling at us to get off your lawn.
0: <laughs> well, you're not going to wander <laughs> on my lawn. I, I did not say it this
3: time. You you said it, and I did not say it.
0: <laughs> no, 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 Gelmacher, let the boy talk. <laughs> let
1: him say what he's going to say. <laughs> Oh boy! You know what,
3: YouTube? I need a break. <laughs> I need a break. That's
1: great. That's great.
3: I I, I need a break. Uh, Hatfield, go get a scotch or whatever it is that's going to get you ready to go. Uh, Gelbacher, you know go this comb your time. beard. We should take
1: a break because the faster we come back, the faster we get to our amazing guest.
3: That's
0: you exactly. Know, I, I, it. I really do think that uh, McCullough's book about the uh, nuclear meltdown in <laughs> seventeen seventy nine. I think We're it's doing it's, this again. It's. Uh, it's it's an underrated um uh, it's well, an yeah, underrated piece of uh It's of, uh, it's literature.
1: almost like people just gloss over it like it doesn't even exist but folks this is a real thing it's I it wonder. really happened <laughs> Yep this all really happened on this
3: podcast When you say, say to yourself what did I just listen to I'm with you
0: <laughs> I mean people in the oh. Ukraine they used to go remember 79 but no one right. ever really talks about that. No one ever talks about right. that at all.
3: Right? Oh. What? What are you going <laughs> to say, gonna
0: youngster? What are you going to say?
3: Just, just go to break. <laughs> I'm just curious if if you Chernobyl anything about this. Wow. wow. Yeah.
0: Oh boy. Yeah. And with oh, that, Oh boy.
3: <laughs> and with that, let's let's take a break.
0: Yeah, please.
3: <laughs> we'll be back right after this with Drew Gruber from the Civil War trails, and it's going to be amazing. Right back after this. Oh, Battle him of the Republic time on the History Bros. That can only mean one thing. It means we've got to be talking about the Civil War here on the Bros. It it has to mean that? It Yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it does. Okay. That's just the way it's going to be. And if you keep this up, I want to play this through the whole episode.
1: Oh, Jesus.
3: No, I'm not. That'd be delightful. (laughs) Anyway, we have a Civil War discussion going on this afternoon. Uh, Not just Civil War stuff. We're going to cover a few different topics, but we are very excited. We have a special guest with us here from the Civil War Trails Foundation. What's that?
0: Yes, yes from Civil around. War Trails. It kind of like doing a, a heartfelt like cheer, and now it's a ruin. Say
3: huzzah.
0: Huzzah. Okay, Th- that's there you go. better.
3: His name is Drew Gruber. He's the executive director of the Civil War Trails. Uh, has been with them since August of 2015. Uh, we, the bros, had the opportunity to meet Drew at the Colonial Williamsburg uh, Teacher Institute this uh, last j- June, at the end of June. And uh, we loved what he had to say. And when we decided that we were going to do this podcast, we knew that we had to get him on at some point uh, because we knew that you would all love what he has to say. So, Drew, welcome. We are more than excited to have you here.
2: Thanks for having me.
3: Absolutely.
0: When we were um, discussing this, uh, creating this podcast, and we were thinking, you know, because we just have so much joy talking about history and stuff, I want to say that you were the first, if not the second person that we thought of about getting oh. onto this uh, this podcast. We're yeah, like, that's cause true. The,
1: Absolutely true.
0: it was the last day of um, the Colonial Williamsburg Teacher Institute, and we all went outside so that we could get a tour of Colonial Williamsburg, but from the Civil War perspective – and right off the bat we started just walking and you were in the middle of the street walking backwards telling us this entire story and i'm thinking we're going to witness somebody get killed <laughs> <laughs> um but the you were talking about just the bat uh, you know uh, i guess a battle that had taken place um in williamsburg um just quickly, give us a little rundown about uh, just like the high points of some of the things that you talked about in that little um, well, in that walk. Oh yeah,
3: and oh, then man. we no. probably should no. have well, him introduce himself at some point and kind of tell us who he oh, is. Oh, well,
0: you okay? We can you, do that next. You, <laughs> okay, sure. I'll, didn't you introduce him? Okay, never mind. Go ahead. No, okay, fine.
3: Go ahead. Anyway, let's talk about what about our talk. You're right. Sorry.
2: Yeah, I, I don't have a script when I take the teachers out. Um, um, let me guess, it was probably really hot that day. It was. But, <laughs> it, was yeah. it was hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In and fact, I, I, you talked about pantsless people and stuff like that, too, which we'll I guess we'll get into that in <laughs> a minute. Yeah. So, the it, you know, whenever we do the Colleen Williamsburg Teacher Institute Walk, one of the things we try to do is relay some lessons that you guys can take back to your classrooms from what is a battle and a time period, at least for Williamsburg's history, that most people and not really to think about. So Civil War Williamsburg sort of amorphous to many, um, but of course, to me, it's my backyard and loving Civil War history that, the downtown preserves those. So we'll talk, I think we typically talk a little bit about the battle, but mostly about what happens in town. So town itself is sort of uh, in a really weird position um, for the African-Americans who are there. Half of them will be in a territory where the Emancipation Proclamation uh, exists and is reality and directly across the street it doesn't apply to them at all that's one example of all these incredible stories we have in Williamsburg um, of course there are the the infamous pantless soldiers which you want to talk about later so we'll hold for that um, but there are a lot of a lot of really good things in there from individual biographies that aren't just cute anecdotes but talk to the sort of the larger narrative of the war um, all the way to You know, thinking about how women in the domestic front are interacting with soldiers and things like inflation. So I usually talk about six or seven different things, um, but nothing's really preloaded. And I typically base it off of whatever your interest is or really, um, you know, how tired the group is or how hot it is. outside.
3: Fair enough. Fair enough.
2: It was a cool,
0: breezy day in Colonial Williamsburg. That entire, you know, actually the entire week, I think, was really kind of chilly that whole week.
1: Okay, sure.
0: Let's yeah, go with no. that. <laughs> so, um, no, there was um um so tell us about the Civil War Trails then. Tell us about what it is. Um tell us what you do what Civil War Trails is um what's important, why it's important, what do visitors do? Um that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, well, good question. Uh so we've been running with this lately. Let's try it on for size and see what you think. Civil War Trails is the world's largest open-air museum. Ooh, I do like that. All right, so Civil War Trails, we have about 1,200 sites across six states. Uh, So when I say a Civil War Trails site, what I mean is an interpretive sign, like you would see at, say, like a National Park Service site. But our sites have our own colors and brand. The goal of Civil War Trails is to put visitors in the footsteps of history and then through that sign give them the really the – information they need to fuel their imagination so they can imagine what that event would have been like as it sort of swirled around them so our goal is to educate and to inspire people to allow them to like follow a campaign like Gettysburg so you can get in your car in Leesburg Virginia and follow turn by turn by turn all the way to Gettysburg or uh, conversely you can go up to beautiful Asheville North Carolina and hike a Civil War trail that'll take you through a couple different cool stories there so our whole main goal is to educate people but also to get them out on the landscape and to make that landscape come alive so that's sort of the public history pitch but what a lot of people don't know about civil war trails is that we're actually administered by a board of tourism directors so while our main goal at least to you all may be education our our big mission is economic development so of course every time somebody goes to a site they have to drive there and gas up the car we're going to want them to stay overnight, so they're going to stay in a hotel. We're going to want them to eat good local barbecue, drink local beer, and, of course, all those things go back into your local tax revenue. So Civil War Trails is the world's largest open-air museum, but we're also a very sustainable piece of tourism for every single one of the municipalities that we operate in.
3: Sure. Okay. There you go. <clears throat> so what's your... Te- so do you- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, you go ahead, Drew. All right, uh, Jason. Well,
0: no, so do um, a majority of your locales are they um are they preserved um, items or are they are you looking at like this is where this event took place or is it like you know here's tell us a little bit like if I were to go to um, one of these sites what could be something that I would uh, could specifically or what 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 is something that I could potentially see there
2: yeah, well, you're always going to see a Civil War Trails sign. So that's going to be that sort of indicator that you've arrived. And it's also going to be that information that you're going to use to sort of experience that landscape. Um, so, for example, if you followed Civil War Trails to one of my favorite places, which is Highland County, Virginia, you'd stop at the Civil War Trail site for a place called Sittlington's Hill, and then you'd hike all the way up that hill, which is really a mountain. And by the time you arrived at the top of that hill, not only do you have a beautiful vista and an awesome workout, but you're also sitting where Stonewall Jackson's artillery was. That's one example for you. So there's nothing up on top of the hill except for this beautiful view. Um, Conversely, uh, you can follow Civil War trails to downtown Baltimore, and you can walk block by block to experience what was the Baltimore riot during the Civil War. So we can take you from rural landscapes where there is literally nothing around you, which is perfect for people right now where yeah. uh, we can take you into downtowns and ex- get you to experience downtowns and to think about, you know, what are typically changed landscapes. They don't look like they did then.
3: Hmm. So Sidlington, um, go ahead, go ahead.
0: Well, how do you do the, how, how does the, how do you do the research? Is it the, the, the local um, tourism board that says, hey, we have this information or how do these uh, become, I guess, like official registers on the trail or whatnot?
2: Yeah, great question. So um, they typically come to us from a group of local nerds So a group of people who really care about this story or site and who have researched this thing to death and they'll approach us and they'll say, Hey, we got this cool story in our backyard. We want to put it on the trail. Cause that, I mean, that's what we do best. Since we're really geared towards getting people there through sort of tourism, what makes our signs different than a local sign initiative is that we're marketing each of these sites internationally. So what we do is we take that research that somebody gives us, we're going to give it a form and a voice, and then we're going to market it to the world. So a group of nerds come to us, they give us all that research information, and then we look it over. We have a small, really small team here at Civil War Trails, and we determine, okay, is this good information? Is it sort of memory or oral history? And then we go to the tourism office, um, whomever that may be, and they have different sizes and shapes in each municipality, and we say, okay, look, we got this person who came before us with this story, we, we think it's got some merit to it, would you be willing to financially support it? And if they give it the thumbs up, then we start in the process of taking that information, honing it down to 200 words, designing that sign. It's typically me, Chris, or Jason who goes out and stalls that sign. So we're putting them up ourselves too. Um, and, then, and then it's on the trail. And then the, really the hard part begins, which is maintaining that sign and then also updating that sign to make sure it's relevant. Hmm.
3: So there's Mike. So. <clears throat> that's my first question. So obviously it's, uh, you know, you put a sign out there about a story that happened, a number of years ago, and and so now you're saying you got to update it and make sure it's relevant, um, and I think I know where you're going to go with this, but I'm, I'm just going to let you run with it. Uh, his, you know, the, the history didn't necessarily change, so what updating to the sign, what changes do you make to that sign to, to do what you're talking about?
2: So, right, yeah, you know, the history didn't change, but our understanding of the event will. Mm. So we'll have, you know, obviously the Battle of Antietam happens on this day, That's not going to change, but we will always continue to know more about how that battle of Antietam happened, who fought there, what happened to the people who fought there, because research is ongoing. I mean, I think the Civil War is still the the number one largest topic for books. I I doubt that will go away. Um, So there's always (laughs) information coming to us constantly. We have people who want to mail us original letters that they found or photographs that they find. So there's constantly new information coming out about each one of these events, which does change how we understand that event really unfolded Um, but more importantly the visitor also is interacting with these sites differently and that's going to be based on who they are what the world perspective is how old are they where they're coming to that site from are they there just hiking so those are all things that we need to keep in mind and, and i'm i'm sure you guys as educators do the same thing when you think about taking information and and changing it to fit your class structure so yeah, we're constantly updating our products, which is a, another thing that separates us from people who just like to write a sign and throw it in the ground, is we've engineered ours in a certain way, both on the back end, what everybody can't see, and in the physical infrastructure, so we can constantly update these signs as our understanding of the events change.
3: Well, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, understanding everything from how the event happened to what type of nut, bolt, paint, and concrete you're going to use is what makes us float. Oh, wow.
3: So how many, How many, or I shouldn't say how many, how big are these signs that we're talking about here?
2: So you're going to see some on the road that are going to direct you to these sites. Those mm-hmm. are what we call trailblazers. You'll see them on the highways. Uh, and then when you get to the sign, a Civil War Trails site, a sign, which is about, I don't know, 24 by 36, sits on two legs, mm-hmm. greets you, um, and, and tells you what happened there. Okay. So just kind of like the same size you'd see at almost any park.
3: Okay.
1: So I want to get back to... Uh... What you just talked about a minute ago with uh how history and our interpretation of history has changed changes over time. Um, how do you feel about the imposition of twenty first century views on nineteenth century actions? Is it fair? Tell us your thoughts on that if you don't mind.
2: Well, I, I think, of course, it's fair because we're the ones calling the shot, right? Everybody else is dead, so it's up to us to make the rules. <laughs> um, so, of course, we're going to impose our 21st century views on the 19th century. And, and I should say, full disclaimer: I'm not a historian. Uh, I'm a planner by training. So, my goal is to figure out, you know, why people do things and go places and how to keep them there. That's what I was trained to do. But you can take that same idea and apply it towards your question. So, imposing 21st century views on on the 19th century has some problems. Um, One, we're not them. Of course, there's always innate human things. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say them, just, okay, sex, food, exercise, housing, clothing, these things never change. Those are things that are innate all the way back to biblical times. So when you think about how a 19th century person experiences their day-to-day life, all those innate human components are still gonna be there. but when they have, for example, um, the priest in front of them talking how slavery is OK, and their politicians talking about how slavery is OK, and their fathers talking about how slavery is OK, it's OK for them. For right. us, it's not. So that's right. just a quick example, I think, and it hopefully answers your question about how I feel about the imposition of 21st century views on the 19th century world.
3: Thank you. No, it, it, it makes sense. It, I think it's still hard to grasp, especially when you hear some of the language that's used at that time, you know, and and, and obviously it's, I don't want to say outlawed, but it's certainly been, um, well, what's the right word to say? Stigmatized to use certain words now. Um, it, it does make for interesting conversations in a classroom with students when they say, well, why were they saying this? We don't say that. Well, let, let's talk about it. it. It comes down to, I think, context is maybe what you what I'm, I'm trying to get to. But
0: well, and that's, I mean, that the brings up an interesting point. When you are creating one of these signs to put up there, um, how do you keep it, um, un, I guess, unbiased? How do you keep it simply factual? Um, what's the process to try and create it so that it's, you know, that it's, it's, it's not trying to promote a specific sort of narrative, but just keeping it strictly to the facts.
2: Yeah, good question. And not what I thought you were going to say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, sometimes we'll just come right out with primary source language. If it really drives the point home and we know that that environment and that audience is going to receive it in a way that's constructive, you can use primary source uh, material that, that really isn't censured. Um, but we, we like, I think most small nonprofits and institutions that are telling good history tell factual, real, bold history. So let me, let me just back up by saying to answer your question about telling an unbiased story doesn't mean we're watering it down or telling a PC story. Um, I wish we could figure out how to brand. We tell real history, but we'll get there. Um, so (laughs) we have a pretty strict style guideline. So we use civil war and not things like war of Northern aggression, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, that's what it is. This whole Civil War thing's all
0: new. It's pretty much the war of Northern aggression. I mean, Ignore him. He's from North Carolina. Ignore, North
3: Carolina. Ignore I mean, I don't him. Understand what the... Ignore that guy. He's from North Carolina.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the reconstructed on North Carolinian that you are will understand completely that our goal here, for example, is to not use the word Yankee in the text unless it comes out of a quote, right? So we're going to use Union soldier as opposed to Yankee or confederate as opposed to rebel but it's also important that we weave those things back into the quotes so that people can understand just how heightened this language in the 19th century really was so yeah we have a whole list of things we like to do to try to write the signs in an unbiased way but no matter how we do it somebody still finds bias in the writing because they're going to approach these signs with a a construct of their own does that make sense
0: Absolutely. Um, I think so, yeah. I, I don't think uh, there are going to be too many places in the Southeast that will understand Union soldier more so than Yankee. Billy, but, um, <laughs> but, I mean, it, it goes
3: back to, and I, 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 his name is escaping me, uh, Brandon uh, Dillard, and I don't know if you know Brandon, um, Drew, but he, he works at, at Monticello, and he, he kind of said the same thing when we broached a similar topic. People come into this with their own baggage and their own understandings and their own um, agendas, um and it's hard to break through that one no matter what you know whether it's it's pro north pro south uh pro whatever anti whatever uh, i i get what you're saying you know people come to come with their own baggage and so it doesn't matter what you say you can interpret things as many different ways you, as you want depending on how you want to interpret something
2: right and and not that my not that my goal when people to read when people read a trail sign is the following but certainly Um, I hope as educators, you would probably feel the same way. When I, when I, when I think about writing a trail sign, I want them to leave with some degree of sort of investment or emotion, right? I want them to leave laughing if it was fun or Mm -hmm. I want them to leave sad or I want them to leave sort of questioning. Is that really how I understood this event to happen? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, sometimes I want them to leave angry, right? But you have Mm -hmm. to convey that sort of experience to them. And it's really hard for us to do because we only have 200 words, Right, So many times to avoid writing with a with what is a bias, whether it be then or now, we focus on telling it through the eyes of somebody who was there. And sometimes I won't even give their affiliation, Union or Confederate. We'll just say private so-and-so or Mrs. so-and-so and, <laughs> and just let their primary source speak. And then the onus is sort of back on the visitor to go home and be like, man – what was his day like? And you type him in and you, maybe you feel sort of swayed towards his point of view or his feeling of that day. And you, you find out that he, he was a Confederate or, or a Yankee, you know, and then all of a sudden you're thinking more critically about how you engage with these stories. So it's a tall order, but we're getting there.
3: I'll tell you what, um, that is an amazing curatorial undertaking. And, uh, I stand and applaud you for that right now. So I mean, I never, I never even realized just how deep you guys were going. That, that is truthfully. I'm, I am in awe. Uh, of that, and I, I mean that very seriously. Well,
2: thank
0: you. Um, is there any? Well, this is kind of it's it's kind of I feel like it's leading me down a wormhole of so many questions about this kind of thing because as <laughs> we've as we've seen recently, there are there is some controversy surrounding um, the Civil War around um, certain events uh, recently that have taken place around like monuments and memorials and things like that. Um, and it's nice that you guys are just. You know, trying to tell the story instead of telling people, you know, I guess I, what I'm trying to say is, is that it, it, give us an example of like a, a process, um, uh, possibly a, like a real example um, in terms of something that if there was one that could have potentially been controversial and how you guys handle that sort of situation.
2: Yeah, gr- great question. Um, so we are, um, we're not overly engaged in the monuments, I guess, discussion. And I, I don't want to use the word controversy because I'd like to revisit how the idea about monumentation and public landscapes has really had a positive impact on travel. Um, mm. so remind me if we don't get there. Um, but a great example is downtown Charlottesville, for example. Um, so in downtown Charlottesville years ago, um, Civil War Trails was asked to, install an interpretive sign to help contextualize the statues that are down there. And that interpretive sign hadn't been vetted through the list of stakeholders in that community. And that interpretive sign itself hadn't been updated to keep pace with that changing interpretation. So there in Charlottesville were some type of interpretation like our sign, a Civil War trail sign, could have helped better contextualize those monuments to to the residents of town It failed to do so um so i hope that answers your question directly uh, but gives you an idea about you know what what the implications of keeping up with history and who our citizens are and how they approach these things is relevant to to us
0: Mm. (laughs) it does does definitely um go back to what you were talking about in terms of monuments having a positive influence
2: yeah so i think when a lot of people Sort of ask the question that you just did about, you know, okay, how how are you guys negotiating or navigating these sort of modern political waters when it comes to the Civil War? It's important to sort of flip that question back on its head and ask ourselves why is this coming to light now? Why are we discussing monumentations and public landscapes right now? Hmm. And and what kind of impact is that having? And I think we often ignore the positive impact that it's having when we realize and take a step back that people are engaging with this landscape, they're asking questions about it, they're being critical of it, and they're having conversations about it. So that's sort of the first pause I'd give you in sort of flipping that paradigm on its head. But to give you uh, some real examples of how this is related to travel, um, we've had more requests for Civil War trail sites, so through the website or through paper map guide requests, come in since the Centennial than during the entire Centennial. So, for example, um, the first half of 2019, we shipped about 40,000 maps telling people about Civil War trail sites. I don't know if any of you are quick with math on this one, but in <laughs> six months, we shipped 40,000 maps. Uh, how many does that come out to a day? A few hundred?
0: Uh, no. when you're talking about to the website, you're talking about your website of CivilWarTrails.org.
2: Yeah, CivilWarTrails.org or people picking up maps in visitor centers or people picking up maps at historic sites. Um, So this is, I guess, a a non eloquent way to say that as this discussion is happening about monuments and and commemorative landscapes, people are going out looking for answers to these questions that they have about why do these monuments exist? Tell us more about the events that resulted in these monuments. And they're starting to visit not only Civil War trail sites to answer those questions, but also a lot of other historic sites as well. So we've been slammed post centennial, say 2015, um, (laughs) with more requests than we ever had during. Uh, and I think a lot of that is because people who are seeing these conversations about the memory of the Civil War in the news or in social media are are yearning for answers, and they're turning to nonprofits to get those answers. It's been really rewarding for us, and it's also allowed us to work with communities to discuss their public or commemorative landscape and how or what stories have been missing from that landscape and how to put those stories back. It's been really, really encouraging. Um, yeah. Yeah.
3: And I, I, you, I, I, I just real quick for those who are, are, you know, you've heard about these maps, and you may be curious. Uh, in the liner notes for this episode, I, I put the civilwartrails.org org map page there. So if you're looking for certain maps and want to request one from Drew, uh, go to the liner notes on this episode, and you can find the direct link to be able to go ahead and do that. Cool.
0: Um. There was something. Um, speaking of uh, the interview that we had with Monticello, uh, one of the con uh, comments that the uh, gentleman had made was that um, there have been there's been a downturn in terms of um, uh, of attendance uh, to these sorts of things. Um, yet you've said that since 2015, you've had almost the reverse. In that, and I was wondering if you wanted to speak to that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that episode of the podcast too, by the way. And I I think his point about baggage is a huge one that I've sort of carried with me for a while now. Um, But yeah, so every single site is going to be different. And keep in mind that at his site, they have somebody who records a ticket sale and they have a physical threshold that they crossed over. Mm -hmm. At a Civil War trail site, of course, it's just a sign. So unless it's me sitting there talking to people all day, um, what we (laughs) use... (laughs) which would be nice, right. uh, which we, what we use to sort of gauge um, the interest in travel comes from a couple different sources. So it'll come from the five state travel offices that we work with, and it'll also come from historic sites who have a Civil War Trails sign there. So, yeah, I, I maintain that we've seen Civil War Trails, and at least our partners, have seen a continued increase, if not a stronger increase and stronger visitation now than we did during that period from 2009 to 15 when everybody was sort of out, I don't want to use the word celebrating, but commemorating civil war events. Um, so yeah, the interest continues to rise. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, so one of those being there, there may have been a lot of people sort of trapped in the car with their uncle or dad going to these civil war events from 2009 (laughs) to 15, and maybe not necessarily wanted to be sure. And as you travel some of these trails, the, the craziest thing about it is you're following, say, like the Antietam campaign route, but you're going to go past really good breweries
0: and oh. places to go hiking.
2: <laughs> There's always live music and local art and, of course, just phenomenal places to hang out and stay. And I think to a certain extent, and this isn't what's codified with fact, but I think to a certain extent – the younger audience that we see now is probably that group sort of trapped in the car during the Centennial, and then they started to see that these historic sites were sort of like a gateway to larger experiences. Um, so we see these numbers sort of manifest in a few ways. So like in North Carolina, right now, somehow, historic sites and museum attendance are still beating attendance to craft breweries. Really? I can't explain it, but that's the numbers that visit North Carolina gives us. So...
0: You know, it's funny cool. that you say that because one of the things that they said um, when uh, Governor Cooper was talking about um, the issues uh, affecting our the state economy with this whole COVID nineteen thing is that I think North Carolina is the sixth most uh, visited state. I think they had said so, which I was like, really. But, um, yeah, so that was, a, was something that they had thrown out. It's a weird statistic to have, but they, uh, that was something that they did happen to mention. So, But you're saying that um, a lot of people have been coming down to North Carolina
2: for uh, these sites, I guess? Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's not just North Carolina because, of course, we have them over six states now. Um, but we'll also see people sort of – let me back up. Consider them sort of part of your travel kind of menu, right? So we know that when people travel, they're not just going to travel and go to historic sites. They're also going to go to maybe a local food joint or maybe the local brewery. They're going to go to listen to music. They're going to go to go shopping. But the levels of people who interact with history sites while they're on a vacation continues to increase. Um, And it didn't seem to have a specific spike during the Centennial period. Um, so, when you survey, for example, uh, recreation travelers or travelers who are going for wine or even LGBTQ travelers, a lot of the states are going to sort of ask them similar questions like, okay, so we have a traveler who's coming for a musical event, are you going to see a historic site, are you going to go to a brewery, are you going to go paddle a kayak for a little while? And that, the number of those responses from these travel profiles who are interested in historic sites and museums continues to grow. And I think it grows because people are starting to, one, engage with the discussion that's going on, like we said before, in the news or social media. I think, two, they're also looking to reconnect with historic sites, things that are like organic and real, because you can touch them, you can see them, they inspire your imagination. It's not just another thing sort of presented to you on a screen. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really cool to see continued interest in historic sites, our average age start to go down. But to see historic sites start to network with breweries and wineries and places to hike and bike, um, it's, it's really invigorating. It's an awesome time to be at the head of a history program, to be mm-hmm. honest. With you. It's, it's awesome. You had
0: uh, sent, um, you shared with us um, a study from the National Trust for Historic Preservation. And one of the uh, key takeaways that they had in this particular study is that uh, music, locally sourced food, and handcrafted items our personal interests as well um, as ways millennials are interested in engaging with our history and culture. So um, do you feel that uh, now, granted, this is a a couple years old. um, It said more than half of millennials prefer to shop or dine in unique or historic downtowns versus chain restaurants or shopping malls. Um, Speak to us a little bit about that.
2: Uh, Well, Hatfield, you're in North
0: Carolina, right? uh yes have you ever had any north carolina wine Oy. um i have had <laughs> two types of wine uh, from north carolina and uh, wasn't a big fan honestly yeah
2: so... <laughs> so now
0: i will say that there is a local brewery called pony Soros. Ooh. which um, I am a huge fan of. Um, <laughs> and they actually just recently um, sent out an advert that said that they were doing. Um, and the thing is, is that, and honestly, I have to say my wife is the one that kind of got me uh, hooked onto this about, uh, especially with the damage that's being done to local businesses because of the social distancing and whatnot. But I have been, I've become a huge fan of supporting these local uh breweries and industries but um Source just uh announced that they were doing um a beer drive-through which you order online and then you drive up and you show them your id you don't even roll the window down and you pop your trunk and they put your order in the trunk shut the trunk and then you, you go on your way so i mean it's 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 interesting how this is how this is changing kind of the dynamic but um but i mean i can i guess i i'm a gen xer i'm not a millennial but um i guess i'm sort of rambling on this but uh um it was interesting to see how millennials are preferring to shop or dine at unique or historic downtowns versus uh these chain sort of incident uh places
2: yes yeah, so, i mean how, how much of your local brewery are you drinking over like miller high life probably a substantial amount of local beer right oh absolutely it i mean the 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 point herein, and what I was trying to get with the North Carolina wines, not to come down on North Carolina wines. Oh, is, I would. I totally would. <laughs> is the, the idea here is that you have you have so many local and hyper local experiences that sometimes you can't even find on you know Instagram, for example, um, or any one of your favorite sort of travel apps that you you really have to get into that sort of local mindset to experience these things that are you know very much like hipster meccas so whether that be your local wine or local beer and in some cases they're not very good but people still consume them because it's it's what's being made in their community and they probably know the brewer or they know the guy who helped them restore the building that the brewery went into and i think what we're seeing is sort of this reemergence of sort of these local economies so that you know when a millennial goes out and they travel they're going to go from say a place like Asheville. And they're going to go leaving Asheville to want to go experience in another community the same things that they know and love as a local in Asheville. So that's going to include local beer, local wine, um, a bed and breakfast versus a chain hotel. They're going to try to buy a locally made product. And as part of that sort of menu of things they're looking for, they're also going to want to digest some local history. Because if that history is told right and if it's told in an exciting way, then they can't consume that history back at home just like they can't get that local wine back at home. The interesting thing about this is that, you know, again, sort of put Civil War Trails or your local historic site as part of this menu that visitors are going to look for when they travel is, you know, they may stay fewer days because these things tend to be more expensive. So like A night in a bed and breakfast may be twice as expensive as, say, a night in a Hilton hotel. Or eating in a farm-to-table restaurant will be way more expensive than eating at a Wendy's. But sort of these younger travelers are inclined to do that, even if that means curtailing their trip, to get something that's hyper-local. And, of course, when you stand at a Civil War trail sign or when you walk into a local history museum, you can't consume that at home just like you can't consume these other amenities, too. That's really what it boils down to
0: so are you saying that the millennial experience is different like they are pursuing these sorts of things but um other generations probably are not
2: you know it's you gen xers always other and other people (laughs) (laughs) but i mean all right so all joking aside having looked at some of the data what we saw was that you know when we had the quote-unquote heritage tourist so white bearded male tweed jacket elbow patches coming with a group tour to a about do you have a camp. camera in here that's exactly what i'm wearing right now
3: <laughs> that's not what you said earlier
2: you know that that sort of heritage tourists like the the boomer tourist you know may have been taking more of what they remember from home on the roads so they may be okay staying in a chain restaurant or staying at a chain rest eating at a chain restaurant staying at a chain hotel um, and it would appear at least through stats that you know, this younger generation of people um, are really sort of taking this to the next extreme. Uh, And we see that not just in the Millennial Trust Survey, but in some of these other surveys about the average age of visitors to historic sites, is it's this 25 to 34 bracket that seems to be driving this new trend.
3: You know, I'll be honest with you. And obviously, there's no Civil War uh, battlefields where I live. um, But uh, for Iowa, the the area, uh, excuse me, the area where I grew up is very much different from what you normally think of when you think of Iowa. Uh, you know, most people think cornfields and flat, uh, and that's not what I grew yep, up in. Yep, that's and it, true. Yep. And it's also got some very
0: prove me wrong. Prove <laughs> me wrong.
3: Right. Well, you 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 buy the airplane ticket and I'll show you. But uh, there, that's the thing is I there's. not have to spend money. Jeez. There are two local breweries that are huge uh or that are doing unbelievably well for i think similar to what you're talking about and there is local history and local culture to the town that is being played upon to that it has become some of a tourist destination within iowa certainly within the upper midwest uh toppling goliath when they re- release a uh, a beer uh, they have people come in from all over the country for that. So I I, I get what you're talking about there, Drew. And mm-hmm. I, I yeah, there, there's millennials involved, but I don't think it's I I think there's some truth that it's not just the millennials. There's older people who are just looking for maybe a little more, I don't know, maybe a little more. I don't want to say a little more cultured experience. You know, um, sometimes I almost wonder if it's more quality over quantity, to an extent, if you know what I mean. Sure. Um, Think of it. You know, I kind of think of it like and I'm not I don't drink beer. I don't drink anything. But I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I can pay eight dollars and get the the 12 pack of Keystone and get myself lit. Or I can pay eight (laughs) dollars and get the four pack of whatever the really good beer is and really enjoy the flavor.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's, you know, not to say it's just been driven by millennials per se, but let's go ahead and let's take that paradigm of millennials driving travel and work it back to that question before about the political or the the monuments landscape. Sure. What's the same age bracket that's sort of driving that discussion? Mm-hmm. And it, it sits almost squarely in that 25 to 34-year-old age bracket. So a lot of these discussions that we're having just here today sort of revolve around this this age bracket. But of course, people can blame millennials or love millennials for whatever they want to. But you know, when the greatest generation went off to Europe and Asia in World War II, they were also the millennials of their generation so
3: <laughs> that's true
2: do you feel
0: that um um i some of the uh, information that you also shared with us showed a, a fair amount of um i guess what they call digital fatigue and how um looking at some of these that um there was at least from 2017 to th- 2018 there was um a considerable drop in Facebook usage, um, uh, 2018 had about the same percentage as 2015. Um, And I know that there was a lot of um, issues involving uh, the 2016 election with Facebook um, kind of being accused of selling um, information, user information. And so a lot of people were like, "That's, that's it, I'm done. But um, do you think that uh, some of the some of these millennials are, are turning to more when you're talking about authentic experiences, they're wanting to push away from these uh, kind of digital sort of experiences and turn towards these um, real life experiences, authentic experiences?
2: I'd, I'd say in the short answer, yes, but of course, here we are in the midst of a global pandemic and every nonprofit I can think of is pushing out digital content. So, right. you know, <laughs> true. <laughs> that being right. said, what we saw before the global <laughs> pandemic um, was that, you know, we, we this, this generation of millennials and not necessarily Gen Xers um, are really one of the first to have been raised and come of age with a digital device always connected to the internet. And now that it's at the point that these millennials um, are, are sort of uh, starting to have families settle down, actually getting um, sort of codified and vested into their jobs that are almost always digitally driven. When they travel, it would appear through this all the survey data that the last thing they want to do is digitally reconnect with their screen. So those surveys that we had talked about before uh, we started recording sort of speak to this idea that, you know, these young families or these folks who work in tech or grew up with digital devices are trying to disconnect from them when they travel. They absolutely use them to plan their trip and to navigate from site to site. But once they're there, they're disconnecting and then reconnecting with the landscape. And it's really cool to see. Uh, it's it's incredibly encouraging to see. In fact, the last couple larger tours that I took out, the only people checking in on their phones and posting it to Facebook were folks my parents' age.
3: Yeah, sure.
2: Yeah. I don't know how that's going to, I don't know how that will relate to all of you in the classroom. Um, and I certainly don't know what this is going to look like once we come out of this, this COVID um, episode in our nation's history. Um, but at least until, you know, a few weeks ago, that seemed to be the trend.
0: Well, we have uh, one thing that's come out of this definitely is drive-through beer places, (laughs) which we should keep.
3: (laughs) Great idea! I totally agree. (laughs) Totally agree. You know,
0: no, it's. um, I mean, it's an interesting thing that you um, that uh, you put up because uh, not to Gen X this whole situation, but um, you know, being a Gen Xer, you know, I remember when the internet was first sort of being introduced to us and at that particular point I was in college and I remember and I'd spoken about this on an earlier website earlier episode rather that um the first thing that I needed to do for a I guess it was one of my management classes that I took was I just needed to send an email to my teacher and that was it that was the whole assignment Um, I didn't have to answer a question. I just basically had to say, Hey, it's Jason. And that was it. But it was one of those that you had to, and the thing is that the, the email addresses at that time didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but you had to have it all written down and you had to get onto the screens that were like the green screens. And, you know, you had to (laughs) type this stuff. I don't even know how you connected to those, uh, email browsers i don't even remember that anymore but i was like this is nonsense this is never going to take off (laughs) but but when as it's as it's progressed i mean now it's just like i mean you have you know i i taking like and geldmacher hopefully you can back me up but we had to take like typing classes because that was that was going to be the thing and nowadays these kids you know, they can, <laughs> these kids need to get off my lawn. No, but it's, but the, the kids are just inundated with a fair amount of, um, you know, of digital stuff. I mean, they grew up with it, whereas I didn't. With me, it was more like, oh, wow, this is new. And how is it, you know, how is this, you know, interconnecting everything? And uh, and I guess it's it's a, it's an interesting way to look at this that the, the millennial and younger generations could have a, a completely different perspective from, uh, from uh, Gen Xers who who saw this as this huge, cutting-edge, you know, William Gibson neuromancer kind of, you know, new <laughs> world, new territory. And so it's interesting that, you know, that you, that was what was encompassing everything, And now it seems like there's more of a desire to kind of like shrug that off and kind of connect or unplug and that kind of stuff. So that's that's that's
2: an interesting perspective I had not thought of before. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Everything comes in in curves. Right. So. Yeah, you know, I got back from some continuing ed classes this past summer, and they were talking about Gen Z. And the one thing that I really remember specifically from this one lesson was that Gen Z looks at social media as something that causes anxiety because it's fake. And I started thinking about it, and I was like, Yeah, when was the last time you saw somebody Instagram, you know, their microwave pot dog, right? So everybody's <laughs> gonna put <laughs> everybody's gonna post something that's beautiful that makes them well, look this like is they me can work.
0: looking really awkward right now, <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> Like you can, I guess I need to delete that a,
0: picture real quick
2: 60 hour work week and then you could still make a four course meal and that's what it looks like on Instagram right but that's not the reality of it but with all things I mean this could change by n- next week once you guys hit you know publish on the podcast so who who knows but I mean sometimes I'm sitting here and I have partners who are like well, we're going to do augmented reality for a battle. The first thing that comes to mind is like, why would I want to be in the middle of a battle? People die.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> a valid point. Yeah. And then
2: the second thing comes to mind. It's like, I kind of want to engage a part of my brain, like my imagination, that I don't get to engage. Why would I want to show up and put on these goggles and pretend that I'm getting killed or shooting people? Uh, but maybe that's just my perspective. It's also really expensive right now. But that's not to say, you know, in 20 years to listen to this podcast and be like, the cutting edge Gruber back there was you know slamming our system and now everybody's walking around with well i mean it could
0: be it could be cutting edge or tree hugger depending on which perspective you're really wanting to right nothing okay that was yeah no good point no it's okay yeah that's you know not wanting to be involved in war (laughs) never mind it was god that's that bombed bigger than i thought it would
3: it's okay um we (laughs) all know we'll
0: edit that out No, 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 I won't. That's the sad thing. It won't get edited out. I I won't edit that out
3: uh, because he's old and people need to know that.
0: We may even hear that. Let me get get my um, my (laughs) hearing aid in.
1: What's that? (laughs) We might even be able to splice some cricket sounds in there when he's trying to tell that joke.
2: God, I should have gotten
3: the soundboard up.
2: Cracking me up last episode with the crickets. Cracking me up.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm glad it cracked somebody up.
3: Oh man. Goodness gracious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um Hatfield, do you have more to go on the uh, the trends stuff? That's kind of where your, your expertise and lead in was. Otherwise, I've I've got some civil war questions for this guy.
0: <laughs> no, I just um it's that that information's really um interesting. I'd be interested in seeing um i I guess I need to take a look at some of these more um about um i guess well i guess the the millennials are sort of the the ones that are i guess well what was the focus on is it what was the focus on the millennials is it just because that's the the new kind of coming about generation
2: yeah i mean but, as as we see sort of i don't want to keep calling them boomers but as we sort of see that that 45 to 65 bracket uh retire or age out or um, even become immobile of course marketers are going to start looking at the uh, next emerging market so you know to a certain extent they think they've understood millennials so that you know as the watch millennials and figure out how they can further market to us but of course they're already thinking about how to tap into gen z and what kind of money they're making Um, so yeah that's really the impetus for it is to figure out how to make money and what what drives these people to travel and that's where i get the information from which is all these travel offices Um, The interesting thing I think about millennials that really no one has addressed yet is that most of us, um, whether that be because of debt or just where we are with our jobs, or maybe even right now as we talk about this through the pandemic, um, is the economy. And most of us aren't having kids to the rate that previous generations did. Mm. So these trends that we're seeing set by millennials may not follow through. So I'd be really curious as you guys talk to your students to determine okay do your do your students feel this way about historic sites or do they think it's going to be somebody in old timey clothes pretending to be a civil war soldier you know or do they see it as an opportunity to go imagine these events for themselves so I'd be curious to see what the next two generations are going to think about sites as as all this ebbs and flows
0: well <laughs> the the big issue with uh with my particular school my uh, particular school is about a 57% free and reduced Okay. Um, so we're Title I, and I know a couple teachers on the 8th grade hall were trying to get um, a trip to Washington, D.C. for, I think our 8th grade has about, I want to say about 170-some kids. And um, obviously, thank goodness that we didn't, um, and I think Rude could, uh, uh, can also testify to this, Because even if we had with this COVID-19 thing coming down, it would have been a lot of that would have been shot to hell. Um, But um, (laughs) some of the issues that we that we face are, you know, we want to take some of these. And we do have some things um, that are close by to our school that we could certainly take the kids to. Um, But in in terms of like um, and so we have to keep our. Uh, any sort of field trips that we do more localized because the thought of trying to take 170 kids where a vast majority, well, not a vast, but a, obviously a majority of them don't have the funds to pay for something like that. Um, I, you know, it's, it, we do, un, you know, unfortunately do, we do have to tend to, to steer more towards those digital kind of, um, experiences, which, you know, isn't as fulfilling. And the, the thing is, is that I don't believe that the kids, um, react the same as they would, you know, if you were to do a virtual tour, say the Capitol building versus actually being there, right? you know, looking at it on a computer screen, it's not going to be the same way at all. Um, unfortunately, you know, that's one of the issues, one of the things that are kind of tying us down.
3: No doubt about that. That's and up. I can speak directly to that, um. You know, we, we've had to postpone our Washington, D.C. trip, and obviously that causes problems for some of the potential people that would have gone um, because the new dates don't necessarily jive for everybody. We, we, we knew that was going to happen, and it was unfortunate. Um, and so now we're uh, looking at not so much to replace that, but just in our supplemental stuff. We're using Zoom uh, to meet with our students a little bit. I mean, we're not, like, teaching classes yep. that way, but just – Honestly, we're having an hour-long meeting where we just get together and talk. And uh, I I suggested to him, hey, should I see if I can get some people? So, Drew, you might be getting another email here pretty soon. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, But trying to see if we can get guests to come on and – and share and, and just talk with the kids about either what they do. Um, you know, we, we were looking at, uh, obviously, Drew, you came to mind. Um, uh, we've got a good contact at Ford's Theater. We were even talking, like, do we see if we get somebody from the state hygienics lab who can talk to us about what's going on with the the pathology of this. And, you know, just basically, and, and all student-driven as much as possible, um, you know, they're interested about this. All right, let's talk to this person, see who we can get on, see what happens. So, um, it doesn't replace it. You're right, though Hatfield. Um, but uh, well, I mean, this is an extraordinary. I mean, I, I,
0: reading about the bombing of you know Hiroshima is yeah, it's horrible. But once you're walking on that T-shaped bridge that was the actual target, it completely changes your uh, changes your perspective.
3: Well, the power right? of, and, yeah, the power of place is huge, uh, absolutely yeah. huge. And I mean, that's why I love what Civil War Trails is doing is because. They've done the work. Like, you know, I kind of wonder where this happened. They've done the work. You know, Drew, you've done the work right. for us. I appreciate right. that. And so all I got to do is hop in the car and follow the map, and this is where it happened. And, I mean, not everybody is is moved by that, but I sure as heck am, and I think a lot of people are.
2: Well, and, and the challenge is to write the signs so that the person who goes there, because they know the story, who wants to stand there, is enthused, but to also write the sign in a way that the person who's in the car against their own fruition with that other person <laughs> reads the sign and they, they find it somewhat interesting too. Right. Um, and I thank you for giving us the credit, but I will say maybe the challenge is back to you all and, and your kids. If they see a Civil War trail sign or if they read it and it's boring, tell me why. Mm. Or if there was one facet of it that was exciting, tell me, you know, tell me which facet it was and I can drill down into that, but we get people all the time who will write us and they'll be like, yeah, I visited your sign, it was right here, I think the event happened over here. And then in a crowdsource way, we say, okay, tell us why. You know, ex- ex- explain your rationale behind it, what's your theory, what sources are you using, and then we can pick up and move and edit that thing as <laughs> as sources delineate. It's, it's a living, breathing program. Uh, and to that same to that same sort of conversation, we have, at least at this point, sort of an ad hoc blind review committee that's made up of you know some people of a variety of different ages and backgrounds and interests, and I always try to pitch signs by them if we're sort of uh, in a rock between a rock and a hard place to say, does this make sense to you? Do you want to go there? Is this exciting? Um, but that's the big challenge for us is is to keep it relevant and exciting, but to also give people sort of that fodder they need to fuel their imagination. And you're right, there is nothing, there is nothing like standing on a field and 25 yards in front of you is a group of people you know also in a line and the person next to you is like could you shoot that person right now can you see (laughs) them can you do it uh or you know to be walking through downtown um thinking about the environment that an african-american would experience as they're trying to find their way to freedom there's no way you can relay that digitally i mean you have to go stand there and feel the landscape and there's no one in their right mind who isn't going to be able to understand the emotions that are behind that event i mean we're going so far as to look at if we can't do signs in you know bilingual signage because the stories of immigrants in both armies absolutely are transferable to you know the recent immigrants to this country in the 21st century so always the only thing i
0: the only thing i think that could really i guess enhance the only thing i could think of is if you had virtual goggles (laughs) And perhaps yeah, we're, you know, in the midst good. of a war, like you were shooting somebody yeah, or, being shot at. or being shot at, you know, and then <laughs> you can have a bunch of people with goggles on hunched over in a field, like running, running around. People. I mean, that's,
3: but I,
2: I... it's entertaining for the people in the car.
3: <laughs> it as
2: well as... And, and don't get me wrong. There are some people who are using that technology. I think it to be able to tell stories, specifically African-American stories that are going to fit a bill. That we wouldn't be able to do on a battlefield. So I definitely expect to see this technology have its place, and be able to really bring some of these stories to life um, with it when there's a dearth of resources. But yeah, the, the idea of driving eight and a half hours to go to a battlefield to put on a set of goggles—it just for, for me, it's not there. And at least from the visitors I talked to, it's not there yet either. So right, right.
3: I, you know what, and that's the thing. Hatfield, that, that technology exists, and you wouldn't even have to go to the truthfully go to the site. You, they make these things where you can uh, basically put a, a, a phone uh, inside this thing and strap it on like a set of goggles, and the phone does the tour, and it's, it's set up that way. So that does exist.
1: You don't even need the goggles anymore. There's the assisted reality where you're just holding your phone up to a, a field, no, and I know, but you're but I, seeing things happening. You don't even need the goggles,
3: right? But I'm talking I about mean, the fully immersive. Like, if you want to, like, pretend if oh, you're in sure. your classroom and you want to pretend like you're in the the great room at Mount Vernon, that exists. Oh, right I got gotcha. you. But yes, I mean, and that's what, what he's talking about. augmented reality.
0: When you go to one of these places, and then you just go ahead and hop on your phone and start looking for stuff, and then you know, then try <laughs> right. and catch a Pokemon or something like that. That's you know, that's. <laughs> That's, you know, the
2: fulfilling thing about this. Okay, so well, I have but, to tell you a story. Conversely, you ahead. know, if you are in a school that's remote and you can't get to Mount Vernon, the only way to experience that great room is digitally. Right. Or, that's you true. know, like one of my favorite programs is Clio. Mm. And if you've not experienced Clio, you guys need to check it out. And even within Clio, you can take your phone while being in a downtown, and your phone will project to you what that landscape looked like in, you know, 1910 or 1920. And that is an invaluable resource. So, hmm. I mean, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But when it comes to battlefields and recreations, um, you know, I think it's important for us to temper why that person has traveled and also be able to fully understand what the proclivity is for them to even use digital devices when they get there. So with all things, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an ebb and a flow um, and some checks and balances. But, yeah, I definitely see some value to it, but I oftentimes wonder if we're not oversaturated with it, which is what the statistics seem to point to.
0: when you you do the um when you have your uh your signs at these sites do you have like a qr code or something for like additional information or is it just like that's what's there and enjoy the site and you look it up some other time
2: yeah so the majority of our sites don't have a digital interactive component yet and now some of them reality some of them don't even have reliable satellite service let alone Mm. mobile service so whatever we put out there has to be somewhat accessible with a strong mobile signal. Um, gotcha. So for example, there's two or three sites I can think of right now where we're getting there with a satellite-enabled GPS is difficult because because you're in such a, such a hollow, you just can't get sat service. Um, but we have started experimenting with putting some digital components on our signs, not necessarily with QR codes, because like with all technology, the ability to read QR codes just ebbs and wanes um, it's back now that iPhones can read it on their camera. It wasn't there for a while. So mm-hmm. we started employing short URLs that were hosted on our server. So for example, one sign I can think of right now um, is at a, a school for arts. And although it has to do with a Confederate soldier, his, his funeral became quite famous for the music written for it. So of course, we found the music, we had it transcribed, we had it played, and then we have it available for, for upload on your phone. But it's also in the middle of a city where there's strong cell service. Um, sure, oh, sure. We're, yeah. we're experimenting with the same thing by putting works uh, WPA slave narratives on some of our signs that talk about African-American experiences. Um, there's one specific site where you're literally facing down what's going to be a Confederate brigade charging towards you. So we're going to upload a copy of the original rebel yell on that sign. So you could hear it in that same landscape. So, yeah, we're experimenting with these things, but we're doing it tempered with what we're seeing in the statistical information, which is that people want to experience the landscape. They want to feel it and touch it. They don't necessarily want to engage with it digitally, but whether that mean typing in 12 characters into a URL or putting on goggles, you know, it's two different things. So yeah, with all things, just like how we rewrite the signs, you know, how we want to put digital components on these is, is going to, you know, really going to have to take into account, is there a strong service there? Do we know that people are actually engaging with, you know, their devices at other nearby sites? And is there a want and a draw for it? And then, of course, the biggest issue is, is there some media that we can actually put forward? Because, of course, in the 19th century, we don't have videos. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. <laughs> all things work. We're experimenting with a little bit of digital, um, but not a ton, because right now we know that when people vacation, they don't want to be on their phones right
3: wow this i don't even this has been amazing i gotta be honest with you. this has been what are you laughing at me for come on guys
1: no you're good man
3: go (laughs) ahead anyway this has been awesome and i have a million more things i want to ask about drew would you have time to come back and do another episode with us on our, our next week next week's episode by chance absolutely oh dude i appreciate that all right. Well, I'll tell you what. You two got any other final thoughts? Otherwise, I like I, I, I have business that to, to take care of in a timely manner. Let's let's do this next week, man. Yeah, right. absolutely. Sounds good. We'll be back with more with Drew Gruber from Civil War Trails. Uh, let's we'll get maybe more into the Civil War side, just like the history of the Civil War side of stuff. Does that work? Perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, for that then, uh, I am Jason Root for the History Bros, along with Brian Geldmacher and uh brian whoever who are you uh, jason hatfield that's who you <laughs> are. we got drew hell? gruber today we're gonna have him back again next week uh have a good one everybody we'll talk to you
0: soon <laughs> see ya on 95.1 the Bull.
3: <laughs> deuces and a, oh my lord Hatfield. have a nice day <laughs>